you've all heard it before, it's who you know. Welcome to Social Capital, a weekly podcast that dives into social relationships and why the investment you put into them is so important. Your host, Lori Hybe, will connect with industry-leading professionals and dive into their networking experiences and expert advice. Lori Hybe here. Welcome to the Social Capital Podcast. Our show notes are found at socialcapitalpodcast.com. To you, the listener, I want you to know that I appreciate you and I'm thrilled to have you here for another episode. If there's ever anything that I can do to support you, please reach out. That being said, here's two ways that you can connect with me. I've got a Facebook group called Social Capital Network, a community of trust, reciprocity, and relationships. You can join the conversation there. LinkedIn is definitely the channel you're going to find me the most active on. Just search for Lori Hybe. You can click the follow button as I post daily information about marketing strategy, tips, all podcast episodes, and any upcoming events. If you'd like to connect, just make sure to include a note with your connection request that references Social Capital. I can't wait to hear from you. Social Capital Podcast is sponsored by Keystone Click, a strategic digital marketing agency that believes in order to successfully market to your ideal customer, you have to first understand your customer. You can learn more at keystoneclick.com. Today's guest is Dino Antonopoulos. Antonopoulos Legal Group represents closely held companies and financial institutions in corporate business law, real estate law, civil litigation, commercial financing, estate planning, and probate matters. The number one goal of Dino's firm is to help clients succeed and to promote them by continuing to be a difference maker and game changer in the legal world by applying their principles, honesty, hard work, loyalty, and a commitment to fight for their clients. Dino, welcome to the show. Good morning, Lori. I am happy that I said your name properly. (laughs) You got it. You've been practicing. I, I was kind of stressing a little bit this morning, like, oh, that's a lot of letters. <laughs> you got that out of the way. Now it's smooth sailing. Yeah, I, I agree. All right, let's get down and dirty here. So how do you minimize litigation risk when hiring from a competitor? Yeah, so we see this obviously more and more um, in today's world, being that it's a little bit of a litigious world. But as we have our companies and companies are out there that market and recruit various uh, potential candidates and recruits. Um, Some of these recruits sometimes are under an employment agreement or it could be under various uh, documents such as handbooks or policies, commission agreements and stock option agreements. And there's what we call restrictive covenants. So it could be a non-compete, a non-disclosure of some sort, but these various restrictive covenants might limit the opportunity they have with that new company that they're going to be onboarding with. So as part of the interview process, you want to ask the potent, the recruit here on whether they have any restrictive covenants that they know of. To the, and then, but you got to dig a little bit deeper and say, okay, what have you signed? What have you received in your employment with your current employer? And then ask those specific questions. Do they have an employment agreement? Do they have some sort of bonus plan? a commission agreement, like a stock option agreement, any sort of compensation agreement. The more that you dive into to ask those specific questions, the more it might trigger that recruit to say, oh yeah, you know what? I did sign an employee handbook. Let me just take a look at that and see what that says. Um, So you start there first. And then ultimately, if if the recruit says no and the interview goes well and and you're ready to hire this, this recruit, then eventually you'd like to have that 
uh, some sort of written confirmation from uh, that recruit, which will be your employee saying that no restrictive covenant exists. Um, if one does exist, then as that employer, that potential employer, and you want to hire that individual, then you should get a copy of it to see what, what the restriction is, to see whether it's enforceable or not. Um, and that's where the legal end starts to come in on that. So as, as we represent close sale companies, you know, we'll, we'll come across this issue all the time. And the ones that stay ahead of this are in the better position where they'll contact us in this case, ask us to review this employment agreement or wherever this restrictive covenant is found and whether it's enforceable or not. And if we say, yes, it is, then we, we kind of do a hard pass on that employee or we can always go back and negotiate some sort of buyout with, uh, um, or, or a resolution with that current employer as well. Um, the ones that it becomes a little bit more pricey on and expensive and a little bit more of a headache are the ones that just kind of blindly hire the employee. And then a month or two down the line, you get a, a letter from a, a law firm saying that, hey, that employee was under some sort of restrictive covenant and you're part of that right now and you're tortuously, tortuously interfering with that. And all of a sudden we got a, a kind of a scramble and an issue with that. So there's these steps that we can take to minimize the risk, to assess the risk and then make a determination like anything in business. And that's something that you know our key um, companies are really honing in on more and more today. Sure. Wow. I'm just thinking, you know, it's such a competitive um, talent recruitment space right now. Is that a conversation you have early on in the interviewing process or more if you're like, this is the right candidate, I got to ask these questions just to make sure? Yeah, I think if the interview is going well for you and you, you really feel like that's a strong candidate, a strong recruit, yeah, I would put that out there, whether it's in the first go around that you're having a good feeling and you want to ask maybe toward the end of that meeting. Or as a follow-up, whether it's um, another phone call or a second or third interview and ask there. Because that might determine, Lori, ultimately whether you're going to put them in that category of, okay, they're, they, they made the next round or not. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, all right, let's, let's switch the conversation up a little bit. What are some of the key terms from a seller and buyer's perspective when purchasing a commercial prop property? Yeah, so here, I mean, depending on what side of the fence that we sit on, um, will be what, what we want as the terms when we're buying uh, commercial real estate um, and even residential real estate. And that's a whole nother animal right now. But when we're in the commercial world, when we're selling, you know, we try to keep it simple. And we most importantly, like we want our money as fast as possible. So we want to make sure. What's that purchase price look like? How are we getting that payment? And how fast can we get that payment? And that's all we care about from the selling end. But then we wanna make sure that we reduce <clears throat> as much risk as possible from our end of it. So whether it's trying to limit it, limit by selling the property in what a term is called like as is where is. So what you see is what you get. Mm -hmm. And we're not representing and warranting anything on our, our selling end. You can come in here, you can do your inspections from top to bottom. So from roof down all the way to the bottom, you take a look at everything and, you know, you get yourself comfortable with the property. I'm not going to tell you that there 
is something wrong or not? Because sometimes I have no idea as a seller, like I'm, I'm a business owner. I don't know of anything, but what we see today, again, in that litigious world is that you always see a finger pointing that if something goes wrong with a property down the line, all of a sudden they're saying, well, you didn't properly disclose this on what we call a condition report that's required as well. So we try to get all those waivers built in from the sellers and minimize any sort of representations and warranties, try to minimize contingencies as much as possible, put those in there if, if needed. So for example, if the buyer needs financing, you're gonna see maybe a financing contingency, like I have to get a loan in order to pull this off. And that's, you ultimately negotiate those terms, but you try to reduce again, that time frame on how long they have and you want to ultimately lock in a buyer from a seller's perspective. And the way you lock them in, you say, okay, look, you're building all these contingencies. And you keep telling me like, I definitely want to buy this property. I'm all in on this. Then, you know, what we say is, well, put your money where your mouth is. Mm-hmm. You know, make some of that earnest money non-refundable. And the more you put down, you know, as far as non-refundable, um, then you know you're, you're getting them locked in more. So on one occasion, like we had, um, you know, a six-figure non-earnest money or non-refundable earnest money, we knew that that buyer wasn't walking ever. You know, they weren't just going to cut that check and then walk away on there. So the more you can do of that stuff, then you lock it in. Now, the, the, the contrary, the flip side of it is on the buyer's end. And then we look at it when I draft up a commercial offer to purchase or agreement, you know, I'm building as much as my client wants the property I'm trying to build out because we don't know where it could go in a month from now, whether financing falls through the cracks or there is an issue with the property. Um, I'm building as many outs as possible. So we're building various contingencies um, that will be subject to buying that property all the way through title, making sure that there's good title, that nothing's mucked up know that there's, um, let's say there's mortgage liens, but there's other items on the title that could come back to haunt us. You know, we're doing our due diligence on special assessments. And so we want to have this property in a position where we know the ins and outs of it. And if something goes sideways and we're out, you know, we want to be able to pull out our earnest money, you know, having it be now contrary to non-refundable, just having it refundable. And then getting as many reps, representations and warranties from the seller of saying, look, we want you to fill out this disclosure report. We want you to tell us as much as you can about the property, understanding that you may not know everything, but if you have something, we want to know about it. And then we take a look at all that stuff. And, you know, as long as the buyer says, okay, I'm comfortable with that, let's get to the next step. And we keep moving it. So kind of that's in a nutshell, as far as when you're, when you're, buying and selling commercial property. Hopefully that was helpful. Well, there's a lot of valuable information. This is such a fascinating topic. Just property is, it's such a different process than um, just buying a house. You know, I think on the commercial side, it's a totally different, everything's different. Um, The legal side of it, the financial side of it, you know, the, the, um, how you get your, the contracts with regards to the money and everything. It's just fascinating. And, and I think there's a lot of opportunity for people to get into commercial property right now. Um, 
All right, the last legal question for you. Uh, let's talk about estate plans. Why should people have them? Multiple reasons. Um, one, if you have children, whether they're minors or adults here, you want to set them up, whether it's um, appointing or nominating guardians to putting various protections in place on how you want your estate to be distributed to your kids. Uh, there is a true cost savings to having upfront estate planning uh, because you avoid the unintended consequences that if you don't set up an estate plan, you're going to be most likely in court, in the probate court, under some sort of jurisdiction by the court here and subject to our state laws. And then it's smart to have that long-term care planning, whether it's the nursing home planning or some sort of residential-based facility planning. Um, so you take a look at that and you try to, even, at, even if you're younger, to put that plan in place because obviously tomorrow's never promised. And so the more that you can strategize, you know, to put your estate plan in, to tie it in as a business owner with succession planning, it always goes hand in hand. So for example, we've had a client um, last year, uh, unfortunately passed away unexpectedly. And he had a multitude of businesses and a multitude of ventures. Um, but the problem was that, you know, it wasn't very clear and clean on how everything was laid out and he didn't have an estate plan. What ends up happening then is we're in probate court now and we've been stuck in this court for a year. You know, from me selfishly, like a business standpoint, that's that's good because we're, we're having legal fees and costs from a client standpoint, which is what we care about first is that, well, they're in, the estates incurring all these legal fees and costs when, you know, for minimal legal fees, if we would have set up the estate plan earlier and got all this stuff done, we wouldn't have all these headaches and the fees and the costs and the time that are incurred in all this stuff. So it's, it's one of those items that, you know, I'm guilty of it as well, and everyone is guilty of it, that we, we write down on our to-do list, estate planning, and then it kind of gets pushed to the bottom until, you know, it becomes at some point, something triggers us to ultimately say, okay, like we're moving this up the priority list right now. And, yeah. and that's when it usually is triggered. Now you talk more if you want about what an estate plan kind of looks like in general, but it's up to you. Um, well, there's a lot of other questions I've got for you, but I agree the, the estate plan, I'm just as guilty. Um, you know, my, I had my father unexpectedly passed away four and a half years ago and my parents just finished their, um, their, their wills and everything. They were, they were, so it was, that was, I guess in a positive note, but, um, you never know when things are going to happen and it's really, you're making life easier for your loved ones by getting it taken care of, but. Like I said, I'm just as guilty. My husband and I have been saying every year we got to do this and we just haven't done it. <laughs> yeah. Terrible for us. And, and we just, life moves too quickly, you know, to, but, you know, there should almost be like a dedicated day. <laughs> Everyone, you know, there's, there's tax day, April 15th. Everyone knows that that day, there should be an estate plan day so that if you haven't do it, you know, done it, get it taken care of now. <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's not a fun subject to talk about. No, it's not. State planning, succession planning, you know, you're talking about potentially the idea of not being around and mm -hmm. what happens. 
Yeah, I know we were at one point early on in um, our marriage, my, my husband and I were in discussions with an attorney to get it done. And some of the questions that we were being asked to make a decision on, we, we just got stuck. Like, well, I don't know how to, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't know what I want you to do if this happens. And so we started the process and never finished it. But now I think we're both in a state where we know how to, we know we want to do, we just have to get the paperwork. My wife and I were in the same boat where we have four kids and at the time <clears throat> they were really young and, uh, you know, we have, we were blessed to have great family around us and in-laws and sister-in-laws and brother-in-laws and my family as well. And when you go to <clears throat> nominate that guardian, you know, you're looking, okay, who should we nominate? And we eventually were like, well, no, it can't be him. No, it can't be her. And we're, we're just chopping everybody down for various reasons. Um, and then we're just sitting there going, well, who do we have left? Even though we have all these great, great options, but at the time we're, you're nitpicking on various things and you're just two worried parents. And then ultimately you just realize, oh my God, like both of us are gone. At least we have all this support, they'll work as a team. So we kind of had to realize that the hard way a little bit. Indeed. All right. Um, well, let's 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 get out of the, the gloomy topic and we'll pause real quick for a message from our sponsor. Social Capital is sponsored by Keystone Click. Located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Keystone Click is a strategic digital marketing agency focused on helping their clients generate and nurture opportunities online. For Social Capital listeners, they've created an awesome Guide to Profits booklet featuring 42 tips on how to build brand awareness generate leads, and nurture those opportunities online. Visit keystoneclick.com backslash profits to download your own guide today. All right, Dino, the show here is all about networking, building relationships. And my goal is to alleviate any fears, hesitations, reservations that someone may have once they hear that word. So um, I'm hoping you can help me do that. Can you share with our listeners one of your most successful or favorite networking experience that you've had? Sure. Um, you know, I'm a big believer in when you network, you network to build real relationships, to have them organic, whether it starts as a friendship uh, and not as a sales pitch. So I'm just the opposite of you go in a room and try to sell yourself and all that. You try to go in a room and just be genuine and be yourself. Um, one example would be that I was invited to a fairly large Christmas holiday event years ago by a bank. Um, many, many of lawyers in the room, many insurance representatives uh, and various, many accountants, right? So you have all these service industries that are all sitting in a room. Um, and then you get some business owners there. And I think the business owners get attacked by, you know, all these attorneys and service providers as well. And, you know, I just take the opposite approach when I'm in a room like that, because people have their guards up and they don't want to be sold. Like it's more of a social setting and you just got to naturally do it even in networking settings. And, you know, I, I met a successful business owner. We just were talking, whether it was about sports or life at the time or kids and so forth. And, it was just more of a natural way that ultimately led to us um, forming a relationship there, forming a friendship, and then eventually representing uh, this individual and his companies. Um, 
So I, I like that story just briefly because it shows that when you're in a room with a bunch of competitors as well, you, you stand out by just being yourself and not pushing the sales part of it. And, and you just try to be genuine to people and people see the genuineness and they also see that if someone's just trying to sell them a bag of goods, whether it's services or product. Oh, a hundred percent agree with all of that. It's, it's one of my golden rules of networking is just be be authentic and genuine. And, you know, it, it's a long game. It's not a quick, you're not going to quickly win someone's business because, you know, you, you talk to them strongly on the first time you connected with them. It's, you got to build that trust and that rapport over time. So that's a great story. Right. How do you stay in front of or best nurture your network and community? Well, truthfully, I, I feel like I've failed at that through the pandemic. I didn't do a good job. Um, partly, I mean, my, my, one of my kids had some health issues, so that kind of took us away. Um, but you try to reach out to, to your network and remind yourself to set up, you know, whether it's a breakfast or a lunch or a get together after work, whenever you find time. As you said earlier, earlier like life is busy. So you know, with four kids on my end of it, I'm coaching a bunch of sports. It's hard to get out to some of these networking events in the evenings as much as I want to. Um, so you try to find time on the day-to-day parts to just reach out to people that you haven't talked to in a while and, and stay in front of them. Um, you know, I'm blessed that I've had, you know, some really good relationships that even though I may have fallen off a little bit during the pandemic and focusing on some family stuff that, you know, people were still reaching out to me. And at the end of the year, I, you know, one thing that I do is I, I, we send out Christmas cards from our office and we typically will send out uh, various gifts to our clients and our network and so forth as just a thank you for always being there for us. Yeah, it's, it's hard to do it, but it's, it's, extremely important to do it. You know, as we talked about a little bit in the first go at it, it's not a, you're not going to win someone over the first time you meet them. I mean, if you do, that's fantastic. And it's slim, slim chance of that happening on a consistent basis. Um, but it's definitely all about that, that long-term nurturing and relationship. Um, what advice would you offer the business professionals looking to grow their network? Be yourself, be genuine. Um, don't try to be somebody else. You know, if you, if you saw somebody else doing it a certain way, like be yourself, that's, that's how you actually build that relationship. Um, when you look to try to try to help others out as well. So if you meet somebody that, you know, you hit it off with, see how you can help them in, in various ways, not just what you offer as well. So if they're looking for an accountant, try to help them out with setting them up on an accountant. If they just have Maybe some general questions out there, like be there for them and you'll be rewarded down the road as well. You know, if you, if you try to just make it about yourself and here's what I have for selling or my services, you know, that doesn't go a long way. But if you try to help others out, whether it's that individual or them ultimately then referring and saying, hey, Lori's a great person. Like she's been helping me. We hit it off. She actually has been opening up doors to other people for me on this stuff or had a great referral for that. And it kind of comes back to you. Oh, I agree. It's, it's a give first mentality that that's kind of, that's, well, that is my second rule of networking. <laughs> it's the 
be authentic, give first and follow through. If you're going to tell someone you're going to do something, make sure you actually follow through and do it. But those are fantastic pieces of advice. You know, here's a fun one for you. If you could go back to your 20 year old self, what would you tell yourself to do more of, less of, or differently with regards to your professional career? Uh, if I could go back, you know, 20 plus years now, I would, I would take that whole LinkedIn a lot more serious. And, you know, I'm, I'm a traditional networking grassroots kind of guy, handshake um, and meet people. And that's how I believe in networking and so forth. And, you know, going back 20 years when LinkedIn was just starting to come through and all that stuff, like being ahead of that curve and really getting that digital and social media marketing uh, part of the aspect as well, because that can open up doors to millions of people too, in different ways. So if I could go back, I'd want to study that more uh, and understand that there, there were multiple books like early on as we were all just trying to figure out the process of how social and digital media and marketing and networking work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree hundred percent with all of those things. All right. I'm going to give you the opportunity to interview me. What's something you'd like to ask me? So what's your most successful or favorite networking story? Oh boy. <laughs> Um, I, I do get my questions thrown back at me sometimes, but I don't think I've had this one thrown back at me. You know, the, I would say, um, the first one, the first time I really experienced networking and the true purpose of it, I remember going to, you know, I was working at an agency and they had, um, won some marketing awards. So I attended the awards show to kind of uh, represent the agency because no one else, none of the account executives or the owner could attend. Um, so I went and, you know, fancy dinner, sit at a big table with a bunch of people. It's kind of the first time I was doing that on my own. Um, started having some phenomenal conversations and just um, building rapport, just me being me and before I know it, um, the person I'm talking to is is interested in learning about uh, more about the services that the company I was working at um, offered, and and I was able to bring in a sales opportunity for the business um, without any. I wasn't even that was not my intention of going, but I just found it fascinating um, that without the intention of trying to sell something, yeah, I was just being me and having a conversation and um, established that trust and, and someone was interested in, in talking further about um, the offerings. And I was just kind of hooked from that day. Like, I want to go to more things like this. <laughs> um, but it was a great experience for me. And that's, that's kind of the, where I got started in the networking game. And that was very, very early 2000s. That's a great story. And it's, it's eye-opening, right? The lessons that you take from that. Uh-huh. Totally. Um, fun question. Thank you. So any final words or advice to offer our listeners with regards to growing and supporting your network? I, I'll repeat what I said earlier too, of just being real, building relationships over time, cultivating those relationships, you know, one day at a time. Don't go in with a sales pitch. Don't look that it's all about the sales and, you know, the immediate, like, I got to get this thing closed or services and people walk in the door because it just doesn't happen that way. Mm -hmm. I mean, on the rare occasion, maybe you just 
cross paths with somebody that might just happen to be looking for a digital marketing firm at that very moment. But most of the time, it's building that trust with an individual, letting them get to know who you really are and what you're really about. And you do that and you'll be rewarded. Love it. Fantastic piece of advice for sure. Um, yeah, be, being authentic and and giving first, <laughs> like I said. Uh, Dino, if anyone's interested in getting in contact with you, what's the best way that they can reach you? Uh, by phone or email. Our phone number is 262-649-5572. My email address is dino, D-I-N-O, at A-L-G lawoffices.com. All right. We will include all of that information in our show notes. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Lori, thanks for having me. This was, uh, this wraps up our episode for sure. Great conversation. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to connect with us, Dino. As mentioned before, connect with me on LinkedIn, go out, go out, connect with Dino on LinkedIn. We're both looking forward to hearing from you. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Most importantly, reach out and connect with someone. Reconnect with someone from your past. Find someone new that you like to connect with. That's what it's all about. Go and build those relationships. That's all for this episode of the Social Capital Podcast. Visit socialcapitalpodcast.com for show notes, more episodes, and to see who will be on the show next. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next episode.